This is the Worth Recovery Podcast, featuring women in addiction. Welcome back to Worth Recovery, a podcast featuring women and addiction, particularly sex addiction. I'm Amy. I'm a recovering sexaholic, and I've been sober since December 2nd of 2012. So we're going to jump right into today's episode because it's that important. Today's episode 10. Um, Someone asked me the other day how I pick topics for the podcast. It's an interesting question. When the idea of starting a podcast was first born, I was excited and totally terrified. (laughs) I sometimes struggle with the idea that anyone would even want to listen to what I had to say. I did all sorts of research about starting a podcast and what to be prepared for. The biggest theme for sure was content. The articles I read recommended that you have like at least a six-month content plan before you even start. I thought that would be impossible, planning out six months of content. But when I sat down to actually do it, I had a full year planned within an hour. Seriously. Details of what I wanted to talk about and topics I thought people would want to hear. As I've written the outlines for some of the podcasts, I've felt incredibly guided. Like it wasn't just my own words or thoughts, but definitely that of a higher power working through me. It has definitely been a humbling experience. But just in the few weeks I've been doing this, I also know that things change. Topics change, ideas come, questions come, and I try to follow the questions. Today's topic was not planned originally. It's definitely born out of my experience of the last few weeks. So what has been my experience of the last few weeks, you ask? Well, let me tell you, I've been discouraged. I turned 40 in January with all sorts of hopes and dreams. I finally feel like my life is mine own again. After nearly two decades of acting out sexually and codependently, I finally feel like I own my life. I made all sorts of plans for this year. I am a planner and I sit down every year in January and make a life plan for the year. You think I'm kidding, but I'm not. I seriously do it. And I even make a PowerPoint presentation of my life plan for the year. Not that I really present it to anyone except for myself, but I still love watching it flip through my screen. I made all sorts of goals, and then I break them down into quarterly and monthly checkpoints. If you know me, you're probably laughing right now because you know exactly what I mean. And if you don't know me, you're still probably laughing right now because seriously, who who does that? Who makes a PowerPoint presentation of their annual goals? Well, now you know someone. I'm, I'm that person. I remember how excited I was in January. Seriously, I couldn't wait to get up in the morning. I found myself singing and dancing and just being excited from the moment my feet hit the ground. I couldn't wait to work or meet people and make progress. I made really big goals this year. Really big goals. I was going to make more money in the first quarter of 2016 than I had in the whole year of 2015. And for whatever reason, I firmly believed it was possible. Firmly believed it. I have plans this year for getting fit, for hiking more, for meeting new people, for making friends, and even start dating. 
I have travel plans for places I want to go and things I want to see. I have goals about paying off debt and saving more money. I also have goals about starting a nonprofit for teenagers aging out of the foster care system. Seriously, 2016 is going to be an amazing year. Now, not all of my annual plans are this big. In fact, most aren't. In fact, none of them have been, except for this year. But for some reason, this year felt really different. I felt unstoppable in January. Somehow, like turning 40 was going to change my life. I felt more motivation and energy for life than I have had in years. And I had a really great holiday season with my family and just felt so much progress there. So many things have been lining up. So many plans, so many ideas, so many things. This was going to be it. I could absolutely feel it. And I was 100% convinced that this year, this year was going to be my year. And then nothing happened. Like nothing. Despite my best efforts at marketing my strategic planning business, nothing happened. No one said no to me. Everyone kept saying, yes, this is what we need. But no one was signing contracts. And with no contracts comes no travel, no paying off debt, no savings account. Despite my best efforts to lose weight and feel more physically fit, I injured my hip and haven't been able to do much in the way of exercising, getting outside, or hiking. And that's been discouraging. Despite my best efforts to be more social and meet new people, I had some seriously epic fails. Actually, at a social event, another 12-step fellowship member that I know came up to me and totally broke anonymity. When he walked away, I had to lie to my friends about how I knew him, and it just was a very incredibly awkward situation. I hate it when that happens. It was incredibly discouraging. Then the idea of worth recovery was born, and as exciting as it has been, it came with a huge risk, a huge vulnerability hangover, as Brene Brown would call it. No one in my life, not my family, nor most of my friends, know anything about my addiction. Nothing. What if they came across this podcast? What if they found out about this whole recovery life that I have? For the first few days, uh, probably the first few weeks if I'm honest, I toyed with the idea of taking it down nearly every day. Every day. Thankfully, I do have some great people in my life who encouraged and helped me through it, and a great therapist. About the third week of the podcast, my mom called me one day and randomly asked me to meet for lunch. She had something she wanted to talk to me about. I was sick. She knew. I, I just knew it that she knew. But no, that wasn't it at all. She just wanted to talk about some quilting idea. So I passed that one at least. But all of a sudden, my story wasn't my own anymore. It now belonged to the internet. It belonged to the entire world. Out there on iTunes, on the internet, on the, on the web for anyone to listen to. And I felt powerless. I felt vulnerable. I felt scared. That was not really what I thought I was getting into. And it was discouraging. My idea of what this podcast and Worth Recovery would be about has totally changed since the beginning of this journey just a short month ago. As I learn more and more about the challenges that face women in recovery and the challenges that face women with just being alive in this world, I've been overwhelmed and discouraged to say the least. I learned this week that the city in which I live, Salt Lake City, Utah, has the highest rate of paid pornography subscriptions per capita than anywhere else in the country. 
To top that off, in 2007, Forbes.com named us the America's Venus City because of the high rate of plastic surgery. That same year, 2007, Utah was named the most depressed state in the country by Mental Health America. Their study showed that Utah had the highest rate of adults seeking help for depression in the country. I looked for more current statistics, but couldn't readily find them. When I first moved here about three years ago, I was overwhelmed by the number of plastic surgery billboards and advertisements there are in this area. My assumption is that it hasn't changed much. The relationship between these statistics says volumes about the societal pressure women feel on so many fronts and the number of women struggling in addiction of some kind, sex, food, diet pills, alcohol, and I assume much, much worse. I want to help. That is why I started this whole thing. I want to provide a rally point for women in recovery to find help and support and most of all, hope. But as I learned of these conditions and started questioning my own ideas about what it means to be a woman, what is womanhood, and my own self-image and weight issues, I became angry and discouraged, but mostly discouraged. Old mental scripts started going through my head, and I didn't seem to have the strength to fight them. Who do you think you are? You can't help. No one is going to want to listen to you. You're not pretty enough for people to even pay attention to you. You've made plans your whole life and nothing has ever worked out like you wanted it to. What makes you think this is going to be any different? Despite all of the amazing positive feedback I've gotten about my goals with Worth Recovery, the temptation to listen to the old scripts is overwhelming. This week, I gave in. I started questioning everything. I was irritated, moody, And just plain bitter, probably. It's true, I thought. Nothing has ever worked out the way I wanted it to. Nothing. Why am I doing this? Why am I pouring my heart and soul into something? Why will it matter? I made all sorts of plans this year and none of it has worked out. Nothing ever goes the way I want. Why am I risking so much? I should go back to my little life, my small circle of influence, and stop trying to change the world. Stop wanting a bigger life. Stop wanting things I can't have. The slope is slippery. Within a few days, it was definitely worse. I became super sensitive to what people were saying. When this happens, I start taking things out of context. I start overreacting because I'm reacting to all the negative things going on in my head and not the reality of what is actually right in front of me. I start becoming judgmental, saying things in my head about everyone I see or meet, particularly women, and then I hate myself for it. I start comparing my insides to the outsides of others. Such an unfair comparison, but I start doing it. Over and over and over again, I do it. And I always come up short. The thing is, I didn't really have anything to blame this discouragement on. Actually, I wasn't even aware that I was discouraged. I wasn't even really aware of what was going on for me. I just knew that something wasn't right, but I couldn't put my finger on it. I hadn't acted out. I hadn't even really had a triggering episode. I've been having great success with the podcast and have big plans for the future of Worth Recovery that I am really excited about, but I just couldn't shake this feeling at all. Not at all. Then, this morning, during my morning routine and study, I read about pressing forward with a perfect brightness of hope, along with this thought, 
Hope is an anchor to our souls. We have the responsibility to make hope an active part of our lives and overcome the temptation to lose hope. And then I realized what was going on for me. I had lost some of my hope. I had allowed that feeling and expectation that what I wanted could actually happen to dim. I had quit expecting that things would work out for the best. I had forgotten the work of step three, that I had turned my will and my life over to the care of a higher power who wanted things to work out. You know, it's easy to do. When I was first starting out in recovery, hope was a rare commodity. I had tried countless times to stop, but hadn't been able to. I had tried countless times to change many behaviors and things in my life, but had been absolutely powerless to do so. With every slip and every relapse, the hope of change and living a sober life had to be rebuilt. So many times I would lay in bed or drive around Lake Washington and Seattle in my car and sob in despair, thinking I would never be able to change. Yet I kept trying. The pain of returning to my addiction was painful enough to keep me trying again and again. Seeing others in the program who were succeeding gave me hope that I could change as well. That somehow, even with all my slips and relapses, I could make it happen and achieve what they were achieving. Hope was built day by day, sometimes hour by hour, as I stayed sober and started living in recovery. But here I am. I'm sober, I'm moving forward, I'm doing hard things, I'm challenging my faulty core beliefs, and yet I still let hope slip away a little bit from my life. As I reflected on it this morning, I was reminded of the experiences of Commander James Stockdale. His full name is James Bond Stockdale. If I ever had a son, I would name him James Bond, because how cool is that? Anyway, Admiral Stockdale fought as a fighter pilot for the Navy in the Vietnam War. On September 9th, 1965, he ejected from his plane that was struck by enemy fire and completely disabled. He parachuted into a small village where he was severely beaten and then taken prisoner. For the next seven and a half years, he was held at the Hoao Lao prison, where he was tortured routinely and denied medical attention. Yet through it all, he has been credited for saving thousands of lives in prison. As the senior naval officer, he was one of the primary organizers of prisoner resistance. He created and enforced a code of conduct for all prisoners which governed torture, secret communications, and behavior. When he found out that his captors wanted to parade him in front of video cameras to use as propaganda, he severely beat himself until his face was beyond recognition so that the Vietnamese couldn't use him. He was known for taking beatings for other prisoners when he knew they would not hold up under the stress and for keeping the spirits of many others alive. The communication that he designed allowed these prisoners, which were in isolation, to not feel so alone. You know, I've talked about Jim Collins before. He's a great author and studies experiences like these to examine lessons we can learn from them. In Colin's book, Good to Great, he writes about a conversation he had with Commander Stockdale about his time as a POW. Stockdale said, quote, I never lost faith in the end of the story. I never doubted not only that I would get out, 
but also that I would prevail in the end and turn the experience into the defining event of my life, which in retrospect, I would not trade. Close quote. There is a great lesson here. One about hope and unending faith. We must never lose faith in the end of the story, of our, in our desire to prevail in the end of that story. Collins also asked him about some of the reasons for those that died and did not return. Stockdale said, quote, oh, that's easy. The optimists. Oh, they were the ones that said, we're going to get out by Christmas. And Christmas would come and Christmas would go. And then they'd say, we're going to get out by Easter. And Easter would come and Easter would go. And then Thanksgiving. And then it would be Christmas again. And they died of a broken heart. Close quote. There is another important lesson here about false hopes. Here it takes the shape of timing. Hope can't be dependent on a timeline. When it is, it will do nothing but disappoint us. Though there are many, many things within our control, there are many more things outside of our control. We can put our best efforts forth, but if we attach our hope to a timeline or to a date, we will be disappointed and quite possibly die of a broken heart. That seems like a contradiction, doesn't it? We must have unending hope in one quote and faith in the end of the story, but we can't have too much hope or false hopes. How do we do that? How do we balance those two? This is how Stockdale explains it. Quote, this is a very important lesson. You must never confuse faith that you will prevail in the end, which you can never afford to lose, with the discipline to confront the most brutal facts of your current reality, whatever they might be, close quote. This is known as the Stockdale Paradox. In order to have hope, true hope, hope that moves us forward, hope that keeps us motivated, we must be able to hold these two contradicting ideas in our head. First, faith that we will prevail in the end, and second, the brutal facts of our current reality. There has to be a balance here between these two concepts. I have been out of balance. I have been focusing on what I see as the brutal and discouraging facts of my reality and losing faith that I will prevail in the end. I assigned a timeline to my success, and when it didn't happen, I allowed my hope to become dim, losing faith that I have the strength and the perseverance to prevail. Things might not be going exactly how I want them to go right now, this very moment. I might be overwhelmed by the hard things going on or the lack of success I am feeling. But my story's not over. The end is not here. And the only way I truly lose is by giving up before the end. So how do I find my hope? How do I build that again? How do I start to build the hope to move forward again, to make plans again, to try again and stop the scripts in my head? First, I had to start talking about it. I shared at meetings some of the questions I've been struggling with and some of the discouragement I have been feeling. You know what happened? Someone called me after the meeting and said, wow, how can I help you? Talk to me about this. And I had an opportunity to voice some of the discouragement and get support. Next, I got on the phone with my sponsor and told her about the discouragement and the questions that I've been struggling with. You know what she said? She said she was proud of me. <laughs> She said she had been helped and supported by my story, and that it was incredibly hard but incredibly good work I was doing. In both cases, my struggle was heard, seen, and validated. Second, I had to remember my past victories. My story is not one of failure, as I sometimes allow myself to believe. 
If I allow my old mental scripts to take over, within minutes, I can be a complete victim with a life of failure. But that is not the real story. That is not true at all. I have to remember some of my past victories, like these. I'm the first generation to graduate from college in my family. I own my own business and maintain a successful career. I'm three years sober. My podcast has been downloaded over 400 times, just to name a few. Also, I've got a lot of smaller victories, like a recent good week where all of my piano students had great lessons, or where one of my struggling math students scored really well on a test, or just getting my laundry done, folded, and put away all on the same day. That is a victory for me some weeks, believe me. Remembering my past victories helps me shut down the discouraging voices of, in my head that rob me of hope. Third, and this is where the challenge comes in, I have to have the courage to hope again. For me, that means I have to challenge the thoughts of failure that come into my head. I do this by talking back with affirmations. It also means I have to be willing to let go of my old plan and build a new one. And that is hard for me. Sometimes that is really hard for me, but holding on to the fantasy of what I wanted or what I think quote unquote should have happened keeps me stuck in the past. See, hope is different than goals and planning. And sometimes I forget that. Sometimes I make goals and plans and I put my faith and hope in the plan rather than put my hope in my higher power and in the end of the story. When I attach a timeline to my hope or a certain goal to my hope and it doesn't happen, I lose my hope and, will, and can possibly die of a broken heart, just as the prisoners did in Vietnam. Hope has to be alive, independent of goals, plans, and timelines. Hope says, I may fall down, but that is not failure. I will get up and try again and eventually victory will come. Talking about the discouragement, remembering past victories, and having courage to hope again are three things that help me build hope in my life. To close, I want to revisit one of the quotes from Commander Stockdale. Quote, I never lost faith in the end of the story. I never doubted not only that I would get out, but also that I would prevail in the end and turn the experience into the defining event of my life, which in retrospect, I would not trade. Close quote. When I read that for the first time, it reminded me of this quote from the AA Big Book on page 83, usually called The Promises. Quote, If we are painstaking about this phase of our development, we will be amazed before we are halfway through. We are going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. We will not regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. We will comprehend the word serenity and we will know peace. No matter how far down the scale we have gone, we will see how our experience can benefit others. That feeling of uselessness and self-pity will disappear. We will lose interest in selfish things and gain interest in our fellows. Self-seeking will slip away. Our whole attitude and outlook upon life will change. Fear of people and of economic insecurity will leave us. We will intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle us. We will suddenly realize that God is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. Close quote. I did a lot of things in my addiction that I am not proud of. I hurt a lot of people. I used a lot of people. I damaged some relationships beyond repair. But I do not regret the past, nor do I wish to shut the door on it. 
It has become a defining event of my life, which in retrospect, I would not trade. I wouldn't trade it because it opened the door for me to have a real relationship with my higher power. It opened the door for me to learn, accept, and love who I am. It opened the door for me to be authentic, to have real relationships with real people. But most importantly, it opened the door of hope in my life. My addiction was a life of despair and discouragement. I've had a little taste of that again this past couple of weeks. But through recovery, I've gained hope. Hope for freedom from addiction. Hope for the future. Hope that in the end of the story, I will prevail. Hope that I can live a good story and contribute to the world around me. Hope. Have hope. Encourage hope. Feed hope. Lift it. And share it with those around you. Hope is an anchor to our souls and we have the responsibility to make hope an active part in our lives and overcome the temptation to lose hope. If you're struggling today or discouraged, remember that we all feel that way at times. Everyone does, not just addicts. Being in touch with the painful facts of our current reality is actually part of having hope. We can't be eternal optimists. The challenge comes though in remaining balanced. We must have hope and faith in the end of the story that eventually we will prevail. But not only prevail, we will thrive. And that this addiction we battle can become one of the defining experiences in our lives and can move us forward to be better. Remember that you are worth it. You are worth recovery. 100% worth it. Keep up the battle. Keep up the fight. And most importantly, keep up the hope. I think about you, I pray for you, and I love you all. Until next time, Amy. stuff. The mission of Worth Recovery is to dispel shame and build hope in the lives of women struggling with and recovering from sex addiction. I am not associated with any 12-step group, religious organization, or therapeutic clinic. I am an addict sharing my own experiences and recovery.